0: Let me uh, add my welcome. You're My name is Paul and we're going to spend some time looking at uh, Luke's Gospel in two parts tonight. But uh, let me pray and ask for God's help. Father, we thank you for this great day where we can celebrate uh, the resurrection of your son. Thank you for this chance to, to gather in this building and thank you for the scriptures which uh, teach us and for your spirit who is um, working in us to teach us great truths and pray that he will be at work powerfully tonight. I ask that for Jesus' sake. Amen. This man here, up on the screen, next slide please, is a guy called uh, Jim Elliot. Jim Elliot was a, a man who loved Jesus, who believed in Jesus and he went to live in a place called Ecuador. And him and his wife and, and four other friends and their families all lived there and they they preached Jesus Christ and they lived among the people. It was one day, the 8th of January, 1956, uh, when a local tribe attacked Jim Elliot's and four other men, and they murdered him. Here's a man who, who died because he believed in Jesus Christ. I come forward in time to the 20th of April, 1999, and here's a young girl called Rachel. Uh, Rachel was a schoolgirl. She's sitting at a desk in school, and and a gunman walks into her school. And the gunman says this: He says, Do you believe in Jesus Christ? And the gunman shot her in the leg. And then said, Do you still believe in Jesus Christ? And then the resounding yes was heard as the next bullet went into her skull. And she died. She died because she was convinced that Jesus Christ lived, died and rose again. I go way back to the first century, you'll find a guy called Peter. Uh, he's a guy who lived with Jesus, who, who walked with Jesus, who talked with Jesus, who just denied Jesus, who'd watched Jesus die on the cross. And this guy Peter himself died because he was preaching that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. Uh, we know that uh, he, he was died, he was murdered on a cross himself, probably inverted cross. But he died because he was utterly, utterly convinced that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Come back to 2006. In 2006, 171,000 Christians, 171,000 Christians were martyred for their faith, killed because they believed in Jesus Christ. You see, people like Jim and Rachel and the Apostle Peter and 171,000 men and women They are so utterly, utterly convinced that that Jesus Christ was a real man who lived and died and was raised again that they're willing to give their life for it. You see, the resurrection is not just a story. It's not even just a fact. It's a fact that actually changed lives and changed history. The empty tomb is a fact that, that people are willing to die for. It's funny, in our churches, we spend a lot of time talking about the cross. We're very good about talking about the crucifixion of Christ. Why is that? I think it's partly because we can kind of understand it. A man who goes to a cross, a man who dies, that's part of our comprehension, if you want. We've seen people die. But we've never seen anyone rise from the dead. Society tells us that dead men don't rise. Science tells us that dead men don't rise. And so we find that really, really hard to comprehend. But did it really happen? Did Jesus really rise? If not, people like Jim and Rachel and Peter and the 171,000 martyrs they are to be pitied more than most people. Did it really happen? That's the topic of our first talk uh, tonight. The facts of the resurrection, the fact of the empty tomb. It's funny, isn't it? When we talk about uh, science, we talk about facts. When we talk about economy, we talk about facts. We talk about sporting facts. But when you come to religion, uh, suddenly we talk about faith. But but true Christianity, biblical Christianity, is, is faith based on fact. And Luke goes to extraordinary lengths to give us these facts. So we've got these eyewitnesses, we've got these women who I like to call the Spice Girls, uh, they, went to the, they went to the tomb that first Easter morning with their spices uh, and you know, they saw everything. Uh, the disciples abandoned Jesus and the closest friends walked away but these women, uh, Mary Magdalene, Joanna, the mother of Mary, Mary the mother of James, they stood by and they saw everything. Uh, so verse 49, look at it with me. All those who knew him, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching these things. They saw Jesus die. Or down to verse 55, the women who had come with Jesus followed Joseph and saw the tomb. They saw where he was laid. And then they come to the tomb on the first day. The first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took spices, they prepared and went to the tomb. You see, if this was fiction, if you were making up this story, who would you have as your eyewitnesses? Let me tell you, in the first century you wouldn't have women. Because in the first century the, the legal weight of a woman's testimony was worthless in court. And much to the embarrassment of the early church and much to the inconvenience of the early church God chose women to witness the resurrection. It wasn't just the women. The, the two men walking on the road to Emmaus, they saw Jesus. The, the disciples in the room, uh, they saw Jesus. He said, "Look at my hands. Look at my feet. Touch me." And, and a 500 people, different times, different places. Sometimes in large gatherings. Sometimes one to one. All saw the risen Jesus. It happened. They were eyewitnesses. More than that, we have the empty tomb. We often say, "If I saw Jesus, then I believe." And We think seeing Jesus is more important but you know, if people just saw Jesus and we didn't know the tomb was empty then you could have you know, ghost theories and hallucination theories but this empty tomb is the key. When these spice gods went to deal with the smell the body was gone. Look at verse 3. They found the stone and rolled away and when they entered they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. He wasn't there. Uh, Jesus was dead. He'd been whipped. He'd been flogged. Uh, Most men didn't survive that. He had nails through his wrist. He had nails through his feet. He had a a spear through his side. He was definitely dead. And then he was buried. If you didn't know, a a crucified man at that time, uh, he'd be chucked onto a mass grave outside the city. He had no rights to a burial. Uh, But Joseph, this courageous leader, he, he saw something in Jesus and so he prepared a burial. Time is ticking, it's late in the afternoon before the Sabbath, and if Jesus wasn't buried before sundown, you know, the body would hang on a cross the whole weekend. It would be food for the birds, and according to the Old Testament, the whole land would be defiled. And Joseph took the body, he wrapped it in cloth and placed it in a tomb. When I say tomb, uh, please don't think a hole in the ground. A, a tomb it was a- as a rock with a hole cut out of it and a stone rolled over it. And these women watched the whole thing. Verse 55. The women who had come with Jesus, they saw the tomb and how his body was laid in it. Please don't tell me they went to the wrong tomb. Joseph knew where the tomb was and Roman guards knew where the tomb was. The women knew where the tomb was, but the tomb was empty. Verse 3. They did not find the body of Jesus. The tomb was gone. The body was gone. I don't know whether you've ever lost someone that you love I don't know whether you ever buried somebody that you love but the tomb or or, or the tombstone is really important isn't it Uh, that's the place where those who are grieving go to be with their loved ones that's the place where you put photos and you put candles and you go there and you may sing a song or say a prayer you want to be near the person so you go to the tomb you go to the tombstone There's not a shred of evidence that the early disciples went to the tomb after that first Easter. Why? Because the body was gone. He wasn't there. You've got the eyewitnesses, you've got the empty tomb, you've got the early disciples. Read your Bibles. Like millions of other Christians, the disciples' lives were transformed. They went from being fearful to boldly preaching Christ. They went from being timid to being prepared to die for the resurrection. Take James and Jude, the two brothers of Jesus. They doubted, they questioned, but but after the resurrection, they they worshipped Jesus as God and they wrote two New Testament letters. Take Mary, the mother of, of Jesus. It's after the resurrection that she gathers together to worship her son as God. Or take Peter, the man who denied Jesus and was a broken man, and yet he's preaching the resurrected Christ eyewitnesses, empty tomb, early disciples, the early church. For hundreds of years, the people of God are gathered, when? On a Saturday, on the Sabbath. But with the resurrection, with the empty tomb, suddenly they're gathering on a Sunday. Because a new world is dawning and a new age has begun. And our calendar shifts from B.C. to A.D. Think about it, friends. Eyewitnesses, empty tomb, early disciples, early church, they all point to the fact that the tomb was empty and Jesus was raised, but we still want an explanation, don't we? It's a bit like when you're watching. Um, so you think you can dance, and they do that dance called crumping. I don't you have seen it? And apparently it looks really good. To me, it looks awful, but apparently it's really good because you get an explanation of what they're trying to do. It's a bit like watching American football. I don't understand a word of it. I make up my own rules, and the game is lots of fun. But then someone tells me about it, and they explain what's actually happening, and it's not fun anymore. Uh, if, if we had an explanation as to why this tomb was empty, then we could really grasp it, couldn't we? And God does tell us, it's there in verse 5. So the women enter, and while they're wondering about this, verse 4, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them, they're angels. And the message they give is there. Verse 5. Why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here. He has risen. He is not here. He has risen. Look around. Check the empty ledge. Check all the nooks and crannies. You will not find him. His body is gone. The tomb is empty. And Jesus had told that many, many times. Verse 6. Remember how he told you while you were still in Galilee? The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men. He must be crucified. And on the third day he will be raised again. Three times Jesus told his disciples he would be raised. Have you ever wondered why, why Luke's gospel doesn't finish in chapter 23, verse 47? The centurion, seeing what had happened, praised God and said, Surely this was a righteous man. That would be a great ending to the gospel. Surely this man is a son of God. But it can't end there. Why? Because Jesus promised he would rise. And if he doesn't rise, he doesn't keep his promise. If he doesn't rise, you can't trust a word he says. The tomb was empty. The, the evidence is beyond dispute. Our church is full of lawyers, isn't it? It's full of lawyers, but I'm convinced that if I took all this evidence into the best courtroom with the best judge and the best lawyer, there'd be one conclusion. He has risen. Fact. So, I want to ask you this simple question tonight. Will you believe that fact? The word believe is the same as faith. Will you trust the fact that Jesus was raised? It's not a leap in the dark, it's looking at the evidence, it's analysing the evidence and saying, Yes, I believe that. Because if you do, you're joining millions of people around the world, here in Sydney, in New Zealand in England, in Australia in the UK, in the USA in Japan, in Thailand, in India and in Bangladesh, millions and millions of people all around the world who trust the fact, believe the fact that the tomb was empty what stops you? i tell you what stopped me for 20 years what stopped me was my own pride my intellectual pride because from the day that I was born you know Science told me that dead men don't rise and society tells me that dead men don't rise but but God is telling me that dead men do rise because his son was raised. Maybe pride is stopping you tonight. Or maybe like me it's selfishness. Because you know I suddenly realised that if I accepted this fact then I had to accept that everything that Jesus said was true. And if that was the case I'd have to start to change my life and admit that I was wrong and God was right. And that's pretty hard to do, isn't it? It took a couple of years for me and, and the death of somebody who I loved before I could really be humbled and say, yes, these facts are true. Stop being stubborn. Stop being stupid. The tomb was empty. Jesus was raised. Have you ever done that? Have you really grasped that there was no body... The tomb was empty, and like the angel said, he is risen. We'll look at the impact of that in our second talk tonight. Thanks, guys. And We've uh, looked at the, the facts of the resurrection. I want to look briefly at the impact of the resurrection. What, what impact does the resurrection have for you and for me? Uh, in one word, it's this. It's all about reconciliation, all about reconciliation. It was our Prime Minister John ha- uh, Kevin Rudd, who said these words a few weeks ago. <laughs> They're on the screen. Uh, the time has come, uh, well and truly come, for all Australians, those who are indigenous and those who are not, to come together, truly reconcile, and together build a truly great nation. They're great words, aren't they? It's a fabulous intention to, to truly reconcile. But how does reconciliation start? What's the word you have to say before you can be reconciled? Sorry. Sorry. For the pain, suffering, and hurt of their stolen generations, we say sorry. To the mothers and fathers of brothers and sisters, we say sorry. For the indignity and degradation inflicted on, on a proud people and a proud culture, we say sorry. Uh, it's a really small word isn't it sorry just five letters s-o-r-r-y sorry but it transforms relationships it utterly transforms relationships simple word yet it's so hard to say isn't it I I think of the guy I was counselling his name was Bart and he sat before his wife and acknowledged the affair and with tears down his cheeks he said I am so so sorry sorry I think of Claire who was guilty of slandering her best friend, uh, best friend Sarah and she said those words. I am so, so sorry and when you've hurt someone so badly that it's like you've ripped out their heart and when you've caused so much pain by your selfishness the word that we find so hard to say is sorry sorry But that word sorry is just one side of reconciliation. uh, Reconciliation is about sorry, but when Bart said sorry to his wife, what did he want to hear? He wants to hear the word it's okay, I forgive you. Sorry, it's okay, I forgive you. That is reconciliation. The two sides, I'm sorry, I forgive you. Uh, Two nations reconciled, I'm sorry, I forgive you. Two people reconciled, I'm sorry, I forgive you. And for you and I to be reconciled to God, uh, for you and I to have a restored relationship with the one who made us and loved us and gives us our breath and our very being, we say, I'm sorry. And he says, it's okay, I forgive you. Uh, And that is the impact of the empty tomb. That is the impact of the empty tomb. Jesus offers reconciliation, restored relationship, forgiveness, friendship and peace with God. Uh, Look what Jesus said to his disciples. It's down in verse 45. He opened their minds they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. Uh, The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on a third day. And repentance, sorry, and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. That is the gospel message, the post-resurrection message. Repentance, I'm sorry, and, and, and forgiveness of sins. It's okay, I forgive you that is a message that spread from Jerusalem down to the ends of the earth yes even Australia repentance and forgiveness repentance is just another word for sorry but it is more than that sorry is a cheap word isn't it the word sorry can just trip off your tongue sorry I hurt you really are you really show me I'm sorry I had that affair. Are you really? Or are you just sorry that you got found out? I'm sorry that I did this. will well, show me you're sorry. That's the concept of repentance. You know, we need to recognise that we've done wrong. We need to recognise that our attitudes and our thoughts and our behaviours are offensive to God. We need to see God and say, yes, you are right and I am sorry, but show me. They you know, Change attitudes, change behaviour, change words, change decisions. It's sorry in action. That's repentance. And that's hard, isn't it? It's really hard to repent. Why is it so hard? You see, many people talk about Jesus. He's the most talked about man in history. But many people read the Gospels, they, they believe the facts, but they don't repent. And they won't repent. And actually, they can't repent right. unless God opens their eyes. Do you spot that in our readings? Cleopas and the other disciple, they, they walked with Jesus, they listened to the words of Jesus, but verse 31, then their eyes were opened and they recognised him. Then they really saw him. Same with the disciples down in verse 45, then Jesus opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. If Suddenly it took God to open eyes and God to open minds and friends, when God does that to you, when God opens your eyes and opens your minds so that you see Jesus not just as a dead man on a cross but as the risen saviour and the reigning Lord, when God does that for you, the only right response is to fall on your knees with tears in your eyes saying, I am so, so sorry. Repentance. Have you done that? That's just one side of reconciliation. The other side is to hear those words, it's okay, I forgive you. And that's what God says in verse 47. Repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name, in Jesus' name. I don't know whether you have experienced forgiveness, true forgiveness. Uh, forgiveness is that, is that unconditional acceptance. True forgiveness is that, that welcoming back without holding any grudges. True forgiveness is the knowledge that, that past wrongs won't be pulled out like a trump card at some later date. How about this for forgiveness? Remember that photo of Jim Elliot? His wife Elizabeth, two years after his death, went to live in Ecuador amongst the tribe that killed her husband. She learned the language, she learned the culture, and she said, I forgive you. That's the impact of the empty tomb, that, that you and I can be utterly, utterly convinced that when we repent, when we say sorry, God does forgive our sins. Uh, the Bible uses images like this, that, that God throws your sins to the, the bottom of the ocean so you can't go and grab them again. God puts your sins behind his back so he can't see them. Uh, as far as the east is from the west, he's removed your transgressions. He can't get hold of them. But how are you sure? How are you certain that Jesus did forgive you? How are you certain, utterly confident that on that cross, Jesus did take the punishment and the wrath for your sins? How are you certain? The answer? The empty tomb. The risen Lord Jesus. If Christ has not been raised, 1 Corinthians 15, if Christ has not been raised, if the body is still in the tomb, you are still in your sins. The empty tomb is like the stamp of approval, like the tick. It did work. Jesus really did keep his word. God's wrath was taken on Jesus. How do you know? The empty tomb. You're completely forgiven. More than that, you are continually forgiven. Let me ask you, who is it who intercedes for you every day of your life? Who is it that every day when you come to God As a failure, as I do every day, and say, I'm so sorry, God, I'm so sorry, God, I've messed up again. Who is it that steps in? It's Jesus who says, I died for him, I died for her. How can Jesus do that if he's still dead? How can Jesus intercede for you if he's still lying somewhere in a tomb? He can't. How can you be sure that every single day of your life you are forgiven the empty tomb? More than that, and please, please listen carefully, and grasp this. The empty tomb is about a reconciled relationship. I don't know, so often we see Easter and we see Christianity just in terms of, of a transaction. We're like accountants, we're like lawyers, we're like transactions. And we see the man on the cross and it's like he, he paid my price, he died for me, I've got the stamp of approval, I've got the not guilty verdict. But he says more than that. If you leave Jesus in the tomb, it's just a transaction. But with the resurrection, with the empty tomb, it's like a relationship. He's alive. You don't worship a dead man. You worship a living man. You're not reconciled to a corpse. You're reconciled to a king, a man who sits on a throne now and he's reigning, interceding for you and God is crying out to you, come home, welcome home, I love you, I forgive you. Now that's the impact of the empty tomb. More than the transaction, but a relationship, a reconciled relationship with your God. Leave Jesus in the tomb and there's no relationship. So how do you spot the man or the woman who's been reconciled through the empty tomb? As I close, two quick things. First one's joy. Joy. Look at the disciples down in verse 50. When he'd led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. And while he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up to heaven. And then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with, what's the word, with great, great joy. It's the same in uh, 1 Peter chapter 1. Uh, though you have not seen him, Jesus, you love him. Uh, and even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and you are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy, that's the mark of a reconciled believer you're joyful, joy is not just an emotion it is an emotion, but it's more than an emotion joy is that confidence, that that deep seated emotion that you know God and he is good and it gives perspective and security whatever happened to you, you know that God is good that's joy I've used the illustration before, it's a bit like the weather, you know. Sometimes it's rainy, sometimes it's cloudy, sometimes it's it's hailing, but the sun is always there. Rain, hell or shine, the sun is always there. The rain and the hail, they're just the surface emotions. But joy is like the sun, it's always there. You know, when life sucks, when life is really hard and you're going through the toughest times, you can still be joyful. Why? Because of the empty tomb. Because you're forgiven, because you're reconciled to your God when life is really good you can still be joyful, why? because of the empty tomb because you've been reconciled to your maker, that's the mark of a true believer, joy have you, you ever wondered why Christians are joyful in even the toughest times it's because of the empty tomb because Jesus has been risen for you and for me the second mark of the reconciled believer is hope Certain hope. It was Bertrand Russell who said these words towards the end of his life. He said, the world is a world of no hope, just grim, unyielding despair. No hope, just grim, unyielding despair. That's how Bertrand Russell saw the world. That's how many of us see our world. Hopeless, empty and despair. But the empty tomb, it transforms all of that. Listen again to these words from Peter. Peter, Uh, on your screen praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ in his great mercy he's given us new birth into a living hope through the empty tomb through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade and is kept in heaven for you that's our hope it's an inheritance uh, being with God for eternity and that can never perish, spoil and fade it's it's permanent Uh, this world is not all as is this world is not as good as it gets. We're looking forward to a new place with no pain and no terrorism and no selfishness and no enemies and no prejudices and no racism and no intolerance and no sin and God is there and you are there and that's your hope. Now, what can, can you be certain of that? Why can I stand here and say that I have a certain hope because of the empty tomb? If Jesus is still in the tomb, then my hope is flimsy. My hope is based on nothing, is it? But because Jesus was raised, my hope is certain. And that will transform your life, my friends. If you've grasped this hope, it will transform your life. It will transform your trials, because if the road is good or the road is bad, it's okay, because you have a certain hope. It will transform your grief. When my Auntie Betty died, I grieved with hope because of the empty tomb, when Ed died of cancer last year, we grieved with hope because of the empty tomb. When a loved one dies, when you die, you grieve with hope because of the empty tomb. It transforms your grief, it transforms your priorities, it transforms you. Easter Sunday is the most fantastic day, isn't it? It is the most fantastic day, but if you do Jesus on the cross, if you do Jesus on the cross with those words, it is finished, when, well, you have no certainty, you have no hope. But He's alive. And that means we have joy and we have hope. So I want to finish by asking you that question. Have you ever said the words, I'm sorry? Not the flimsy, cheap words, I'm sorry, but the real heartfelt, God, you are right, I am wrong, and I am so, so sorry. But then if you have accepted those words from God himself, he says it's okay. I forgive you unconditionally. I forgive you because my my son died for you and was raised to new life and I look out amongst his church and I see faces of men and women and I know some of you have gone through really really tough times and I've witnessed the joy that you have even in the toughest times why is that? because of the empty tomb and I've sat with people some of you who have lost loved ones and you have hope why is that? because of the empty tomb It transforms everything, doesn't it? And my question is, has it transformed you? Has it transformed you? Will you leave out this church tonight with those words ringing in your ears, because of the empty tomb I have joy and I have hope. And like Peter we say, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he's given us a new birth into a living hope because of the empty tomb. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for those men and for those women who did preach repentance and forgiveness. Thank you for the men and women who brought that message of hope and joy to our nation. Thank you for the men and women who preach the message of repentance and forgiveness to to us personally. Thank you, Father, for those of us who have had our eyes opened and so we can say, I'm sorry. And hear those words, it's okay, I forgive you, in Jesus Christ. Uh, Lord, please help us to be men and women, a church, marked by joy. That deep-seated trust, that deep-seated contentment, that deep-seated emotion. And Father, help us be marked by hope that security, that confidence that our inheritance is secure because of the empty tomb. And we ask that for Jesus' sake.